0: I'm Kurt Anderson, and this is the Studio 360 Podcast. As a New Yorker, I've always loved that New York was actually the first movie-making capital of America and sort of the world— that changed as soon as filmmakers figured out it was cheaper and sunnier to make movies out in Los Angeles. But over the last few decades, the New York film business, along with television, has undergone a renaissance. Film crews on the street are more than ever a part of city life these days. And in the neighborhood of Astoria, Queens, stands a hundred-year-old movie studio, a great artifact of that arc of New York moviemaking. The mogul Adolf Zukor built what was known as the Big House in the silent film heyday. It was almost torn down, but it is buzzing now thanks to some visionary strange bedfellows who thought that New York could be the center of big time filmmaking once again. For our latest New York Icons feature, Roslyn Tordesillas brings us the story of the Astoria Studios.
1: In 1978, the film adaptation of the Tony Award-winning Broadway musical, The Wiz, opened in movie theaters. I'm on my way to find The Wiz. He's going to get me back home. Oh, well, that's nice. Universal Pictures poured $24 million into the production, about $95 million today. The film's all-black cast included huge stars, like Diana Ross and Michael Jackson. The movie seemed poised to make magic at the box office. But the movie bombed. A review and TV guide called it a bungled mess. But even if the movie was a flop in the conventional sense, when it came to the film industry in New York, it was just the opposite it helped revive a movie studio in Queens, the crumbling former home of Paramount Pictures that's now known as Kaufman Astoria Studios.
0: The show will resume very, very shortly. But first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio360Show. And now, back to the podcast.
1: New York was the first center of the American film industry. When Thomas Edison and other inventors developed this new technology at the end of the 19th century, New York City was the American cultural and financial center. Theater, publishing, art, dance, fashion. The performers, craftspeople, and storytellers were there.
2: So you could have imagined a world in which New York remained the film capital, as it always did the theater capital, let's say.
1: That's James Sanders, author of Celluloid Skyline, New York and the Movies. He's talking about why movie makers started leaving New York. It was cheaper and simpler to make movies out West.
2: And Hollywood became the place where the movies were made. The many of the most memorable of them about New York.
1: Hollywood became the undisputed center of motion picture production. New York continued to attract independent and innovative artists. Richard Kozarski is Professor Emeritus of Cinema Studies at Rutgers University and author of Hollywood on the Hudson.
3: New York is a cultural center. Even if New York didn't have a motion picture industry, New York still has a music scene. New York has an art scene. New York has a theatrical and and literary scene. Nobody makes films in New York because it's cheaper. Nonetheless, these are obstacles that the people who do make films in New York are happy to overcome because they want that cultural ferment.
4: A lot of the challenges with this big old building over the years is just utilizing the amount of space that we have and trying to not have any dead space. So,
1: Joseph Melizia, the you know, stage I manager at Kaufman Astoria, Astoria Studios, is giving a tour of the facility talking about recent updates they've made. We're walking from the echoey hallway into the sound-treated stage area.
4: For a while, there wasn't really anything going on in music and sound, so we decided to get rid of the dead space and take this, there was a wall.
1: Big controlled environments like this stage stage are the main offering of studios like Kaufman Astoria. Here, there are seven, and they're building two more. The jewel is Kaufman's Stage E which is about half the size of a football field. Let's say your movie needs a specially designed set, like a house where you cut holes into walls for cameras, or the deck of an ocean liner, or inside a spaceship. And you need to fully control the lights, sound, and maybe even the weather. You would build it in one of these stages.
4: Here's the freight elevator. Everything gets loaded in
1: through here. Hoffman also includes workshops to build sets, huge elevators and loading bays to move them between studios, makeup studios and dressing rooms, places to store your props and costumes, and office space. It even has a closed-off street for outdoor shooting. This site dates back to the silent era and embodies the arc of New York film history. The famous Players Lasky Corporation built the studio in 1920, that company would become Paramount Pictures. Adolf Zukor was its driving force. He'd come up as a fur merchant. He invested in a chain of Nickelodeons, early movie theaters that charged five cents admission. He decided he'd make movies with Broadway actors based on their big stage hits. He named his company Famous Players because he featured, quote, famous players in famous plays.
4: Adolf Zucker used to do, uh, you know, like plays in Manhattan, and when he came here and he built this building, so stage E was the stage that he would make his movies on, and then he would do screenings in his own private uh, movie theater. And we found out that this is actually the oldest movie theater in Queens.
1: When the studio was built, Paramount already had its main production facility in the West, where there was open space, good weather, and cheap labor, but not much else. But Zukor oversaw his empire from New York, the best place to make deals for rights to plays and novels.
3: They were nervous about having all of their factory production thousands of miles away. They wanted some production to be within arm's reach. Also, New York City had Broadway, and Broadway had a lot of actors who you might want to hire, directors you might want to hire, and they didn't necessarily want to relocate to California.
1: So companies tried to keep studios going on both coasts. There were other big studios in the city back then. The Biograph Company already had a large studio and film lab in the Bronx. Fox Films built a huge rival on Manhattan's west side about the same time. But of its contemporaries, Astoria is the only one still standing and operating as a major studio. Peter Romano is Vice President of Operations for Kaufman Astoria Studios.
5: This was one of the very few facilities, still is one of the few facilities built in this city that was built just to do film.
1: This one was the biggest and most lavish studio in the East. It occupied a whole city block plus a partial block across the street. The big lot had the main studio, The building was as grand as any of the time, and with its classical lines, it still looks like a temple to cinema. Sanders again.
2: It has this quite dramatic front drive that looks what you can just sort of imagine Gloria Swanson in her Duesenberg kind of coming in, or or Mae West, or W.C. Fields, or... Uh, the Marx Brothers sort of arriving in their grand car and kind of being whisked away from the fans into this little side room where they would lead to their private dressing rooms.
1: The studio made over a 100 silent feature films there in its first seven years, with big film stars like Gloria Swanson, Rudolph Valentino, and Dorothy Gish.
6: Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute, I tell you. You ain't
1: heard nothing. Those you first spoken words right. in The Jazz Singer marked the arrival of the talkies. It became even more important to have theater people who could write and deliver dialogue. The studio equipped Astoria for sound.
2: Friends, you are now in Coconut
1: Manor, one of the finest cities in Florida. Of course, we still need a few finishing touches, but who doesn't? This is the Marx the- Brothers' first films, The Coconuts in 1929 and Animal Crackers the next year, were their only two movies based on their Broadway shows. And those were their only two films shot in New York, at Astoria. Although Astoria and Hollywood both supplied their share of comedies and light entertainment, Kozarski says some New York films stood apart.
3: The West Coast made spectacle films. The West Coast is where Paramount is going to make The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, right? Uh, They don't have that kind of space available in the East. The West Coast is where Paramount is going to make its westerns, like The Covered Wagon. You You don't make films like that in the East for obvious reasons. They're going to do adaptations of Broadway stage plays.
1: Filmmaking on the two coasts diverged in other ways as well. In Hollywood, the motion picture companies aimed for efficient and profitable production. A-list talent, big stars, and ambitious projects rose up in this environment. But it was a factory town concentrated on movie making and not much more. Some artists found it stifling. Gloria Swanson, for example.
3: So she makes an excuse to go back to New York. She lands in New York and says... By the way, I'm never going back there. Uh, If you want me to continue my Paramount contract, it's going to have to continue over here.
1: New York also suited the sort of filmmaker who could deal with the complications of working there. 1929's backstage musical, Applause, directed by Ruben Mamoulian, shows what was uniquely possible at Astoria Studios. Helen Morgan plays a burlesque star who wants a better life for her daughter.
3: All these things you've gone through and I never knew.
1: Dancing with those girls. Horrible men staring at you. Saying awful things. Oh, now, don't you think I'm going to be in this burlesque
2: racket all my life, neither. Just one more season. My name on Broadway in lights. And the big dough. And then we'll have a nice little home. And we'll be together and be happy.
1: In the early days of sound, the bulky recording equipment meant limited camera movement, so scenes were static. But Mamoulian wanted to capture the action around the burlesque scene and backstage life, so he improvised ways to move the camera. He also wanted the lead character styled sloppily to reflect her hard, seedy life, the antithesis of early Hollywood glamour. In New York, he was free to experiment.
3: Having the studio in New York allowed Paramount to take advantage of new talent with new ideas and bring it in into the cinema.
1: Applause premiered on October 7, 1929. Just 3 weeks later,
2: October 29, 1929, Black Tuesday,
3: the New York Stock Exchange is in a panic investors have scrambled to unload their stocks at any price.
1: Everyone even though Paramount was one of the big five studios, the stock market crash, the heavy investment in sound equipment, and conflict between the East and West Coast studios put too much pressure on the company. In 1932, they gave up Astoria. But that didn't stop filmmakers from setting films in New York, even if they weren't shooting them there. Like 1933's King Kong, Or Gold Diggers of 1933 and its sister musicals by Busby Berkeley. New York seemed to be filled with broke showgirls making it big on Broadway and landing rich
4: husbands.
2: New York, for its entire history, has brought people together of wildly different backgrounds, and that might be different races or cultures or uh, geographic areas. Um, Irish people and Jews and African-Americans and, you know, Italians, but also different classes. You had the, the tenement girl and the rich playboy and everybody in between. Well, that's just a natural for storytelling.
1: But when these stories were told by Hollywood, what was distinctly New York about them could get flattened out for the mainstream. If you look
3: today at a Marx Brothers movie, some of the, the first couple of Marx Brothers films, uh, they're throwing all these Yiddish terms around.
1: Schnorrer, there is Yiddish for freeloader.
3: Animal crackers and the coconuts uh, were designed, you know, for a New York audience, but. When the Marx brothers then do move to Hollywood and they begin making films for MGM, there's no Yiddish in those movies anymore, right? They become the sort of universal, you know, Hollywood movie Marx brothers.
5: ladies
0: from the 80s who are indiscreet, side by
1: side, That's from 42nd Street, the classical 1933 musical about the Broadway chorus girl who becomes a star. That iconic number has the Busby-Berkeley dance formations, but it also has the skyline, the elevated train, street vendors, an attempted rape, and a murder. It's a film about New York made in Hollywood that helped form what Sanders calls the Mythic City, that dream version of New York that's a distillation of the real place.
2: 42nd Street and all those backstage musicals that were made, all those films that were about the putting on of a Broadway show. They weren't shot in Broadway theaters. They were shot in Hollywood soundstage theaters. You know, there was just endless numbers of these amazing films which did not have a single frame except possibly the establishing shot. The opening shot would be shot in New York as the credits ran by with music behind it.
1: In May 1933, Paramount turned the Astoria Studios over to its main creditor, Western Electric. That company's filmmaking arm, Eastern Service Studios, Inc., Operated it as a rental studio for independent productions. Its output varied widely. The Scoundrel, for example, was set in Manhattan's literary world. Noel Coward plays a ruthless, hated publisher. Julie Hayden plays the woman he charms, marries, None. then yeah, abandons.
3: I
6: hope that something happens. It must, it must. God and the man that you live, I hope your plane falls, that you're killed, that when you're dying, you'll think of one thing. That on the whole face of the earth, there's not a single human being who will
1: cry for you. When he dies, he's condemned to damnation unless he finds one person on earth to mourn him. Novelists and playwrights Ben Hecht and Charles MacArthur wrote it. But at Astoria, they also got to produce and direct. They won an Academy Award for Best Original Story.
2: Do you know me, New York! New York! There was a series
1: of Spanish language musicals starring the tango star Carlos Gardel. 1933's Emperor Jones was based on the controversial Eugene O'Neill play. The main character was a black Pullman porter who escapes prison to become dictator of a small island. The film could only have been made with independent funding. Then the studios were called to service for World War II. The War Department acquired the property in 1942 and the pictorial center of the Army Signal Corps moved in to make training and propaganda films. They expanded the facility and built barracks for the soldiers. The Army used motion pictures in the war effort and turned to experienced filmmakers for help. Frank Capra worked on a series of orientation films called Why We Fight. One episode, Prelude to War, won the Oscar for Best Documentary.
6: Just what was it made us change our way of living overnight? What turned our resources, our machines,
1: our whole nation into one vast arsenal, producing more and more weapons of war
6: instead of the old materials of peace? By
1: the end of the war, the ABC employed over 2,000 people making movies, over half of them civilians. All this work even brought new film techniques, like multiple-angle shooting, and it changed film in even more momentous ways.
2: For five years, American audience had been seeing newsreels. And as someone, you know, a movie maker said, well, you couldn't, you couldn't bring in the enemy for a, for a production meeting, you know, <laughs> before the battle. And people went out with 16 millimeter cameras and these lightweight cameras that could go everywhere they saw actual action. After the war, audiences and creators had
1: developed a taste for this more realistic filmmaking.
2: There was an appetite for a new kind of filmmaking that would be use more available light, less contrived cinematography, be shot with a faster, grainier film, be more shot on location and feel more like it took place in a real place and not this kind of fabulated construct, and be more adult. This desire for realism
1: meant the glossy representations of New York that Hollywood made before the war wouldn't do. Directors like Ilya Kazan felt their stories needed New York locations and New York talent.
6: You don't understand. I could have had class.
4: I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody.
1: By the mid-50s, New York filmmakers were more than just contenders. The Oscar wins for On the Waterfront in 1955 and Marty in 56 affirmed that excellence could come from outside Hollywood. New York as a setting is capable of whatever mood or dramatic statement you want to make. Architecturally, in its light, boy, talk about winter light as Mr. Bergman did. New York's winter light is ravishing. That's Sidney Lumet in the documentary film titled By Sidney Lumet. He grew up on the Lower East Side. In 1957, he went from directing theater and TV to movies with 12 Angry Men.
2: You mean you're asking us to believe that somebody else did the stabbing with exactly the same kind of knife? The odds are a
1: million to one. He'd go on to make more New York classics, like Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Network. He died in 2011. I'm not comfortable any place but New York. When I leave New York for any other place in the United States, uh, my nose starts to bleed. Filmmakers at this time took full advantage of New York locations for their exterior shooting. When they needed a controlled indoor set, they made do with whatever studios were available, TV or old movie studios. The old Bronx Biograph, for example, operated as a rental studio under different names until the 70s. The Astoria Studios, meanwhile, were still occupied by the
2: Army. There were some leftover stages from the 20s, and they reused them. And uh, Sydney Lumet told me amazing stories of going on to these studios, which... He was in an editing room up in the Bronx that had been Edison's old editing suite with an E, draw, you know, kind of worked into the curtains. E for Edison. These were the oldest movie studios in the world, and they were reusing them in the 1950s to make all those great early and mid-50s movies like uh, Twelve Angry Men and On the Waterfront.
1: The city eventually recognized how vital New York and the screen are to each other. In 1966... Mayor John Lindsay established the first mayor's film office in the world to lower hurdles to filming there. Lindsay's film office streamlined the permitting process and removed a lot of red tape for shooting in the city. He even dedicated a police unit to location shoots. Then, in 1970, the Army moved production to a different site and turned the Astoria property over to the federal government.
3: This was not simply a movement of... You know, some soldiers, because most of the people making the films were grips, carpenters, electricians, and actors who were part of New York's commercial motion picture industry. So they were not at all happy when this plug got pulled in
1: Astoria. The complex sat abandoned for years, unprotected, and open to vandals.
3: People would go in there, rip the copper out of the walls, and those were people with a purpose. Then there were also just people in there for mischief. Terrible condition. In the meantime, you have this eyesore at the edge of a residential community, sort of halfway between the Astoria and Long Island City, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. There, abandoned cars dropped
1: all around, you know, weeds growing up through the sidewalk. I, I remember this very clearly. The film unions, local community, and the city got together to preserve the studio site, save film jobs, and clean up the neighborhood. In 1977, they formed the non-profit Astoria Motion Picture and Television Center Foundation. They managed to prevent the studio from being sold off or torn down by getting the site on the National Register of Historic Places, a process that normally took years. They had help from someone who once sought relief at the studio. So we're pulling out an invitation to a fundraiser starring Gloria Swanson because she was, you know, she was a major star for Paramount in the 20s. That artifact was for a recent exhibit at the Museum of the Moving Image. Barbara Miller is the director of curatorial affairs there. Swanson was a big supporter of the foundation. She was an honored guest at the ceremony, declaring the site a New York City landmark in 1978. The foundation got the federal government to turn the site over to New York City and permission to use it. They cleaned up the ruins and made enough repairs to make it usable. Universal Pictures got in touch. the The Wiz was going to be an enormous production. New York landmarks like the Coney Island Cyclone, the Twin Towers and the New York Public Library Lions featured in the sets. Besides Diana Ross and Michael Jackson the cast included Lena Horne and Richard Pryor. They had a renowned New York director at the helm who insisted it be shot in his hometown. Here's Lumet in the documentary again. We had a scene where Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Tin
2: Man and the Cowardly Lion and Toto arrive in Oz, and I could think of no location in New
1: York that I found more fantastic and that I thought would be worthy of being Oz than the World Trade Center. When The Wiz was produced, it was the most expensive, extensive on location shoot that had ever been done in New York. So it was, I think it was a real turning point for a lot of reasons. Throughout the 60s and 70s, with films like Dog Day Afternoon and Taxi Driver, New York's film scene had become defined by its realism, grit, and independence. The Wiz was a fantastical spectacle, not attempted in New York since the silent era.
2: Certainly, although it didn't turn out to be one of the most successful musicals ever made, it certainly played a really important role in kind of establishing and rethinking the idea of the relationship of New York and film.
1: Even though it was a critical and financial flop, The Wiz showed that the Astoria studios were a viable facility for large-scale projects. If the studio was going to be able to take on more ambitious shoots like The Wiz, though, the site would need to be further developed. The Astoria Foundation applied for a New York State grant, but that money came with some conditions.
6: The state wanted educational programs tied into this whole project
1: sag after a senior advisor, John McGuire, was a leader of the foundation.
6: You guys don't have any experience <laughs> doing any of this,
1: so we're
6: going to have to bring in a private developer.
1: Enter real estate magnate George Kaufman and a group of investors who would develop and operate the studio.
6: So they could show it was not, not just subsidizing somebody's movie studio.
1: Q. Rochelle Sloven, a former city arts administrator who decided to build a world-class museum on the site, the Museum of the Moving Image. When I arrived in Astoria, I was handed a giant key ring with 90 keys on it. We were well endowed with empty rooms. The museum opened in 1988 in one of the original studio buildings. Today, film, TV, and even video game fans come from all over. Many are surprised to learn the history of the studio and the neighborhood. All sorts of people who are living in Astoria today have no idea, no idea, what Astoria was like 35 years ago, 40 years ago. They they can't even visualize it. In 1982, the production facility was officially renamed Kaufman Astoria Studios. Within a year, Francis Ford Coppola was filming The Cotton Club there. At the time, it was the only full-service studio on the East Coast. That's what the auteur of Taxi Driver and Mean Streets needed when he made his Gilded Age drama, The Age of Innocence, in 1993.
4: You gave me my
5: first glimpse of a real life, and then you told me to carry on with a false one. No one can endure that.
1: To shoot Edith Wharton's classic New York story in New York, Martin Scorsese needed the workshop space to build his sets, room to store period costumes and props, and lighting systems to simulate candle or gaslight. He's recently been back for a film that moved through many periods, The Irishman. In
4: 1993,
1: a whole neighborhood moved in.
6: My name is Martin P. Robinson. Uh, I was hired originally to play Mr. Snuffleupagus. Uh, Those of you who don't know (laughs) who that is, he's uh, eight feet tall, 15 feet long, of brown, shaggy, very sweet fur. Uh, Big Bird's best friend.
1: Back then, Robinson and his co workers weren't sure about Sesame Street's move to Queens from Manhattan, especially when he got terribly lost after some subway mix ups on his first day.
6: And pretty soon I was in the bowels of Queens, finally hailed a cab who took pity on me and took me to uh, Kauffman Astoria Studios. Yeah, I was thinking that day, day one, which was, this is the stupidest idea ever and I'm never coming back here again.
1: But once he got there, the history hit him. He's sharing a space with some of his heroes.
6: All of a sudden, you really got a sense of your place in the timeline of shooting, shooting media, and, and know that the Marx Brothers were there is just totally good enough. Good enough for me.
1: <laughs> More regular tenants followed. Not all of them as family friendly as the Muppets.
6: I went down an exit that I don't usually go, and all these women were filing in wearing these orange outfits.
1: Every- Second time around Kaufman Astoria booked Netflix's first big hit. Orange is the New Black marked the beginning of the streaming era. This era of peak TV has kept the studio busy. Nurse Jackie was a long-running show. There was Showtime's The Affair, Hulu's The Path, and network shows like Shades of Blue and New Amsterdam.
2: Everyone in the cardiac surgical department, you're all fired. Oh, I am serious.
1: Streaming shows keep Astoria busy because they commit to shooting full seasons at a time. Network shows could get canceled after an episode or two. Kaufman VP Romano again.
5: Every time I turn around, there's some show, it's either Apple, like I'm doing Dickinson now. I've done several Netflix shows like Orange is the New Black. I'm doing an HBO Max show with Anna Kendrick called uh, Love Life. So like that streaming service thing has just created... Uh, We don't stop.
1: Kaufman Astoria has now been going longer than any previous occupants of the site. Romano's been around for the whole restoration.
5: I grew up a block away, and I've been running around the building since I was 12. And uh, basically, they gave me the job of, like, ripping out weeds out on the sidewalk because this whole neighborhood by the studio was abandoned. I mean, I I look at it, this is like old Yankee Stadium, you know? A lot of people walk in here and they... They feel it, you know, And I say, you know, you're on the same set as W.C. Fields, the Marx Brothers. It, it means something.
1: But Romano says his favorite studio stories are more personal.
5: I walk around this place and I run into carpenters and scenics and electricians working on the stage who tell me my mom and dad met here.
1: In the wake of Kaufman's reboot, more major studios opened in the city. Silver Cup Studios and Broadway stages in 1983, and Steiner Studios in 2004. And they
6: all got developed as we result of saying, wait a minute, there is a business model here that, you know, can really work in New York.
1: Commissioner Ann Del Castillo of the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. There's been a real shift, you know. And I think, again, because productions know that they can get everything done from super from development all the way to um, post-production, they can do all of it here.
5: Like today, they're storyboarding their projects. and
1: Now, the studio is paying those breaks forward by supporting the city's budding artists. In a former barracks on the studio site, Astoria native Tony Bennett and his wife Susan Benedetto founded a new performing arts public high school. They opened it in 2001 and named it the Frank Sinatra School of the Arts. Kaufman Astoria helps kids at the school interact with people working in the business. Jordan Benda is 15 and wants to be a screenwriter. She gets inspiration for her characters from seeing different people on the F train during her long commute. A lot of people can say now that the Hollywood industry is coming very bland and like one note. But new filmmakers like this are coming this, this school, they have many notes. They can make a whole orchestra of anything.
4: So this is the main stage, stage E. It's 26,000 square feet.
1: On the huge main stage at Kaufman Astoria, they're shooting a new CBS drama, Tommy. Today, a massive screen printed with a nighttime scene covers the length of one wall. It's a cityscape, but it's not New York. What I think actually is really exciting is we currently have a serious shooting here right now that's supposed to be based in L.A. Um, it's with Edie
6: Falco, and she wanted to be here, and so New York City is doubling for L.A.
1: I am Abigail Thomas, chief of police. I am from New York. Some people even say I have an accent. (laughs) Who knew?
6: So various parts of New York have doubled as
1: Mexico, Afghanistan, Russia, Paris. Whether the characters are in upper-class drawing rooms, a women's prison, or the land of Oz, Hoffman Astoria Studios and New York City can make any story feel true. With such an artistic town that we really know how to dress things up (laughs) and make you feel real.
0: Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 wherever you get podcasts.